If you have your Bible today, I'd like you to open with me to the first book in the Bible, if you would. We'll be in Ex- uh, yeah, Exodus. Whew, this is not a good start to the good start to the message. Genesis, that's the first book in the Bible. Genesis chapter 13, and we will start reading in verse 8 in just a moment. Genesis chapter 13 and verse 8 will also be in a couple verses in chapter 19 as well. They'll all be up on the, uh, up on the screen here in just a little bit if you need them. Today we're going to look at a biblical character that only shows up a few times in Scripture. He doesn't have a, a prominent role like uh, maybe you know Moses or, or Jesus or, or one of those uh, types of characters. He's labeled a righteous man. In, in the Bible he's said to be righteous, but if you didn't know it, if, if you weren't told that, just by looking at his life, you probably wouldn't, uh, wouldn't call him a righteous person. Today we're going to look at nephew, uh, the nephew of Abraham, a man by the name of Lot. Now, Paul tells us that the Old Testament was written for our instruction. Of course, that's, uh, that's, that's pretty easy to see in things like um, the, the Old Testament law, you know, the, the Ten Commandments, for instance, don't murder and, and things like that. That is for our instruction. That's easy to see. But when Paul says that, he's not just talking about the, uh, the, the law as such, but rather he's talking about, and, and specifically, he's talking about what happened to Israel. So you look at Israel and, and what they did in, in, uh, in, in departing from God and, and being forced to wander in the desert for 40 years and so on and so forth. He says those things were written so that we may, uh, as an example for us, so that we may learn from them. And so Lot is not a real prominent figure in the Old Testament. But, you know, they say that sometimes our, our role in life is to serve as an example and sometimes it's a bad example so that others can learn from it. That seems to be the case with Lot. He was, he, he was a, a follower of God, but not a very good one. And so what I want us to do is I want us to look at his life, see what we can learn from his bad example, and uh, hopefully avoid those mistakes for ourselves. I know you just got to sit down, but if you're able to, I'd like you to stand in honor of God's Word. We'll pick up in Genesis chapter 13 and verse 8, and we'll read a few verses and then jump over to chapter 19. Says so. Abram said to Lot, "Please let there be no strife between you and me, nor between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we are brothers. Is not the whole land before you? Please separate from me. If to the left, then I will go to the right; or if to the right, then I will go left." Lot lifted up his eyes and saw all the valley of the Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as you go to Zoar. So Lot chose for himself all the valley of the Jordan. And Lot journeyed eastward. Thus they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled in the cities of the valley, and moved his tents as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked exceedingly, and sinners against the Lord. Turn over to chapter 19, and we'll pick up in verse 15. And kind of like other times when we've uh, done these biographical studies, we're just picking and choosing a few verses. Um, we'll pick up in verse 15. It says, When morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Up, take your wife and your two daughters who are, who are here, or you will be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he hesitated, so the men seized his hand, and the hand of his wife, and the hands of his two daughters, for the co- compassion of the Lord was upon him. And they brought him out and put him outside the city. When they had brought them out, When they brought them outside, one said, Escape for your life. Do not look behind you, and do not stay anywhere in the valley. Escape to the mountains, or you will be swept away. But Lot said to them, O no, my lord, 
uh, O no, my lords, now behold, your servant has found favor in your sight, and you have magnified your loving kindness, which you have shown me by saving my life. But I cannot escape to the mountains, for the, the disaster will overtake me, and I will die. Now behold, this town is near enough to flee to, and it is small. Please let me escape there. Is it not small? Then my life may be saved. He said to them, Behold, uh, he said to him, I, Behold, I grant you th- this request also, not to overthrow the town of which you have spoken. Hurry, escape there, for I cannot do anything until you arrive there. Therefore the name of the town was called Zoar. The sun had risen over the earth when Lot came to Zoar. Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. But his wife from behind him looked back and she became a pillar of salt. Thank you. You may be seated. lessons I want to draw out of this text for you. Uh, the, the first, if you look back at chapter 13, the first thing I want you to see is that we should not decide things based solely on sight. We should not decide things based solely on sight. Now where we pick up in, in our account, Abram's being called by God to leave, his, to, leave, to leave his family, to leave his homeland, and to go to a place where God was going to tell him. And you remember, Abram headed out in faith and did that. Now, he did not go alone. He had other uh, family members that went with him. And one of those family members was his nephew, a man by the name of Lot that, that we read about. Now, because of a lack of faith on Abram's part, they, he and, and the family ended up in Egypt. And it is there that Abram acquired a large amount of wealth, a large amount of, of uh, farm animals and things like that. And it's likely, I think, that Lot also acquired a bunch of uh, possessions while he was there as well because um, if uh, a little bit earlier in um, in chapter 13, the Bible says that Lot had flocks and herds and tents as well. So, so, so Abram is a very prosperous man. Lot is very prosperous, and in fact, they're so prosperous that the land does not have enough grass to feed all the to, to feed all the animals. It didn't have enough water to water all the animals, and this led to a conflict between the herdsmen of, of Abram and the herdsmen of Lot. And we can understand they, they, they had to, they're squabbling over who has the right to feed their, their animals here, who has the right to, to this water, and so forth. And so there's, there's, this, there's this strife happening between the herdsmen, and this creeps into the family, and Abram recognizes this, and he says, you know what? The best thing for our family is for us to separate. And sometimes that's what you've got to do to keep the peace, is you just have to have some space. And so he comes to Lot, and he says, you know what? Here's what we're going to do. We're going to separate. You take your pick of, of the land. Now understand, Abram is the, the head of the family. He has the right in that culture to decide where he's going to go and where Lot's going to go. But instead, he offers Lot that choice. Now if you look back at verses 10 and 11, notice what Lot does. His decision of where to go is based solely on the way things appear. And, and, and notice, notice the order. He looks... He beholds and he chooses. He looks, he beholds, he chooses. And this is, this is a, a, a pattern, this is a, 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 an order that we see several times in Scripture. You think about back in the Garden of Eden. Genesis chapter 3, what did Eve do? She saw that the tree was good for food. She, she, she took the fruit and she ate. In Joshua chapter 7, you remember Joshua was, was going against, uh, leading the people against uh, the, the city of Ai. And there was a man by the name of Achan there, and, and, and Joshua had said, don't, 
don't take anything that's there. It's, it's under the ban. And Achan, what did he do? The Bible says in, in Joshua chapter 7, Achan, this is Achan's own words. He said, I saw the clothing and, and the gold and the silver. I coveted it and I took it. He saw, he beheld, he acted. Second Samuel chapter 11, David and Bathsheba, what happened? David was up on the, on the rooftop. He saw Bathsheba. He inquired about her and then he t- took her and lay with her. And it's all too tempting to act on the way things appear. It's all too tempting just to look at the way things are and make our choice based solely on the way things look. It would have been much more appropriate in in this case for Lot to have declined this offer and to have given that choice back to Abram and said, you know what, Um, this is really your choice. You You make the decision, but he didn't do that. He didn't consider what was best for Abram. He was only looking out for number one. He was looking out for Lot. He operated on the basis of, of sight. And notice how this land is described in our text. It says that everywhere it was well watered. And, and, then, and then we have these, these, this repetition of this idea. It was well watered like the Garden of God. That's the Garden of Eden. Like the land of Egypt, which was watered by the, the, this overflowing waters of the Nile. So, so you just think, out in the desert... There's not a whole lot of water. And yet this, this area of the Jordan Valley is well watered. It's, it's, it's lush. It's green. And you think you have, if you have a lot of animals and they're going to need to eat, what are you gonna, where are you going to go? You're going to go to the place where there's plenty of water and plenty of food. And so that's what, that's what uh, Lot decided to do. But notice the wording that's used here. The wording that's used here. It's this, it's this grand description of how lush and wonderful this valley is. But there's a little note in there, and what does it say? This was before God destroyed the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. It's almost like Scripture saying, little did Lot know. All that he was placing his hope in, all that he was placing his trust in, was getting ready to go up in smoke, literally. Now, again, in this agrarian culture, especially in the desert, having a place that's well-watered, has lots of, lots of grass and pasture land. That's going to be the ideal spot. But he didn't consider anybody else like Abram. He didn't, he didn't say, you know what? There's all this, all, this, all this space, all this stuff. Maybe we can work out some kind of a way where we can live in, in this area, maybe trade off or, or, or something like that. He didn't do any of that. Look at verse 13. Something else he didn't consider. He just thought about his own desires, his own wants. But verse 13 says, the inhabitants of Sodom were exceedingly wicked. Now that word that's used there has the idea of, of breaking or, or destroying or afflicting. And it, it, it has the idea that, that, that these people that lived in this city didn't just do away with the established order of things. They didn't just uh, do, do, do away with that. They, they, they also did away with the natural order of things. The very laws of nature themselves, they, they crossed over this line between right and wrong. They violated what was right and wrong. They did what, what was right in their own eyes with no thought of God. Now, that was, the, that was the environment that Lot was deciding to go into, but he didn't consider any of that. He didn't consider what effect that was going to have on him. He didn't decide, he didn't think about what effect that would have on his family. He didn't pray. He didn't seek counsel from Abram. He saw what was out in front of him, and he let that be his guide. He said, this looks good to me. I'm just going to do it. 
Now I just want to pause and ask you this. Does this have any application for us today? And I believe it definitely does. We do the same thing. Sometimes we make decisions based solely on sight. We make decisions based solely on appearance and the way things look. Sometime back, probably a few years ago, some, I, I heard somebody talking, and he's, he was talking about uh, young people going to college. And the, uh, the, the choices that people make in, in going to this place or that place. And he pointed out that what usually happens, the things that usually factor into a decision about where to go to school, are usually two things. Number one, does the school have the program in which I'm wanting to, have, to get a degree? And that's number one. The second thing they usually, people usually think about is how much is it going to cost? And I'm going to include housing in there as well. But those are usually the two main things. If, if you have gone to college yourself or if you know somebody that has, usually those are the things that people think about. Can I get the degree that I want here and am I going to be able to afford it? What they don't think about, they may think about how far it is to home or something like that. But usually people don't consider the lifestyle of the people that go to that school. Now, I know you've got to paint with a broad brush when you do that, but some schools have a reputation of being, for instance, a party school. Also absent from the equation usually is, are there any good, solid churches around that school that the student can attend? That, that's, that's not even considered. People just go on what looks good. They just go based on sight. And I've got to tell you, I'll, I'll be perfectly honest, whenever I went to, to college, I thought, does this, school have the, does this school have the degree that I'm wanting to get? Yes. Am I going to be able to afford it? I hope so. But that, I, I didn't think about churches in the area or anything like that. I should have, but I didn't. Now, it's not just prospective students that this applies to. Because there are all kinds of times when we are faced with decisions, and, and sometimes it may look like this. I have a job offer. Do I take it or not? What do we look at? Am I going to make enough money? Am I going to get ahead in life? Is there room for advancement? We don't think about what kind of people work at this place. What kind of environment is that going to be for me? What, what kind of environment is that going to uh, put my family in? Or maybe, maybe it's a place where we live. We're, we're faced with the move. We don't think about what is the neighborhood that I'm going to be moving to or, or, or things like that. It may show up in, in any number of choices that were offered. And, and, and the caution here is don't just take a, make a decision based on sight, on the way things look. We need to pray. We need to seek godly counsel. We need to consider what effect those choices will have on, on us, our family, both now and in the future. So the first lesson from this is don't make a choice based solely on looks. The second thing I want you to see is that if you dwell in Sodom, Sodom will soon dwell in you. If you dwell in Sodom, Sodom will soon dwell in you. Now I want you to look at, uh, at, at verses 12 and following. In verse 12, Lot moves to the cities. Now there, are, there were several cities in, in the Jordan Valley. And so he moves to the cities, but he puts some tents out near Sodom, and, and probably for the purpose of grazing his livestock. Chapter 14, which we did not look at, in verse 12 we find him living in Sodom. And you might remember this story. There were some, the, the, 
these cities had like little kings, these guys that were ruling the area. And so there, there were some of them on this side, some of them on that side. They, they teamed up and they started fighting against each other. And they ended up taking Lot and some other people captive. And so Moses, or yeah, Moses, Abram goes in with some of his armed men and they rescue Lot. Instead of using that to make a clean break from Sodom, because remember, he's living there. Instead of using that to make a clean break, Lot decides to go right back to Sodom. So then in chapter 19, when we, where we picked up uh, just a little bit ago, if you have your Bibles open, I'd encourage you to go ahead and, and turn over that direction. In verse 1, chapter 19 and verse 1, we find Lot sitting at the gate of Sodom, offering hospitality, quite possibly rendering justice or, or helping with the administration of the city, because that's where, that's where business was done, was in the city gate. And, and so here is, here's Lot. He's in, uh, in, in chapter 13. He's living in cities near Sodom, has some tents right, at, right by Sodom. Chapter 14, he moves to the city. Chapter 19, he's having a part. He's an alderman of the city, I guess you might say. He may have married a wife in Sodom. He was definitely raising daughters in Sodom. And bit by bit, the, the people of Sodom's, their, their, their outlook on things, their, 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 their worldview, their, their, their customs, all these things crept into the lives of Lot and his family. Now, you remember, if, if you remember chapter 19, you remember what happened when the angels came to visit Lot because, because God was going to destroy the city, and he sent these angels to get Lot and his family out. So the angels come to Sodom. Lot takes them into his home and offers them hospitality. That, that night, the men of the city surround the house. They demand that these angels be brought out because they, they had the appearance of men, and they were going to violate them. And what, did, what was Lot's response? Guys, don't do this. I have, I have two daughters. You can have them. Just don't mess with these, these guys that came to visit me. Now, those of you who are parents, can you imagine offering your child to that? I cannot. I mean, that, that is, that's bonkers. That, that is, he, he's, he's sunk pretty low. And yet, 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 7 and 8, Says, speaking of Lot, he says, if he, speaking of God, rescued righteous Lot, oppressed by the sensual conduct of unprincipled men, for by what he saw and heard, that righteous man, while living among them, felt his righteous soul tormented day after day by their lawless deeds. Lot was, Lot was righteous, but he was not nearly as good as what he should have been. He was not nearly as good as what he could have been. And, and the thing about Lot is he wasn't as good as he could have been, and he wasn't as bad as he could have been. Because on the one hand, he's righteous. Chapter 19, verse 9, in this same incident, when, when the people are surrounding the, the, the house, they're trying to get the, these guys brought out to them so they can, so they can violate them and, and do violence to them. Verse 9 says, Stand aside, they're speaking to Lot. Furthermore, they said, this one came in as an alien, and already he is acting like a judge. In other words, Lot's behavior, his lifestyle, was righteous enough that the people felt conviction for what they were doing. And what was their response? Who are you to judge me? You ever heard of somebody say that? Who do you think you are judging me? Don't you judge me? That's what these people were saying. So he was righteous enough 
that their, that, that their lifestyle, that, that his lifestyle made the people of the city uneasy. But on the other hand, he was not living in such a way that he made his faith central to his life like Abram did. So he was righteous, but not real righteous. On one hand, he was, he was surrounded by wickedness and it bothered him. That's good that it bothered him. And it's good that he didn't get involved in all the wickedness of Sodom. He could have just let go and just, just joined in, but he didn't. But yet he didn't have the courage to leave the city. Even when the destruction was coming and he knew it, they didn't leave. Because the next day, where was Lot and his family? They're still at the house. They hadn't left. The angels came. They said, we're getting ready to destroy the city. They said, all right. And the next day, they're still there. They're, they're, not, they're not in any hurry to leave. And even when they do leave, the next day, the angels urged them to get out. But what does the Bible say that Lot did? He hesitated. He paused. He put on the brakes. He clearly was not where he should have been with the Lord. And it wasn't until the angels physically grabbed hold of him and his family and drugged them out of the city that they finally left Sodom. Their hearts, and even then, what did Lot's wife do? She looked back. That's where her heart was. That's where she wanted to be. They, they were in Sodom, but more importantly, Sodom was in them. That's where their hearts were. They were trying to serve two masters. He, he, was, he was trying to straddle the fence and, and have one foot in, in the kingdom and one foot in the world. And listen, the same thing will happen to each of us if, if we don't guard our hearts and our minds. Because we are surrounded by a culture everywhere that hates God and that's in rebellion to Him. And if we're not careful, we'll not only be in the world, because we don't really have a choice about that, but we'll be of the world as well. We'll act like the world. We'll, we'll take on the world's thoughts, the world's value systems. We'll not live a holy life. Now, all this happened, why? Because Lot based his decision of where to live on sight. He said, this is, I'm not going to take any godly counsel. I'm not going to pray. I'm not going to do any of that. I'm, 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 it's like... You know, you can have a great big old bull, and you put a ring in his nose, you can lead him anywhere you want. And, and it's like that with, with Lot. His eyes were, were, were like that ring in the bull's nose, just, just dragging him around everywhere. His eyes saw, oh, this looks good, I'm going to do that. And we must be careful, we must be on our, on our guard, we must be diligent. What is guiding your life? When you're presented with options and choices and decisions... How do you operate? Do you seek godly counsel? Do you talk to a trusted, mature believer about it? Do you pray about it? Do you read the scripture? Do you consider what effect that decision is going to have on, on you, spiritually, emotionally, physically? Do you consider what effect that will have on your children or on your grandchildren? Are you living in Sodom? Like I said, there's a sense in which each of us is in the, in the sense that we're, we're, we're living in the world. But are you guarding your heart so that Sodom's not dwelling in you? Why don't you stand with me as musicians come. And as you stand, I ask that you bow your heads and close your eyes.
We can't help but live in the world. But there's a difference between being in the world and of the world. Sometimes we, we, in, our, in our zeal to reach the world, we let the world influence us and we don't make any difference in the world. That's not the way things ought to be. And it could be that, that you are... You have the mindset of the world. You have the value system of the world because you are of the world. You've never been saved. You've never turned from your sin. You never trusted Christ as your Savior. And if that's you, the Bible says that today you stand rightfully condemned because you've not believed on the, on the, on the Son of God. But the Bible says that all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Heavenly Father, we, um, we thank you for your word, which is as relevant for us today as it was when it was first penned. And God, we ask that you'd help each of us to not live our lives based on the things that we see. But God, you'd help us to be spiritually sensitive, that you'd help us to, uh, to take godly counsel that we would pray, that we would seek your direction. And God, if there's somebody today who's uh, dealing with a choice and a decision, I pray that you would guide them and let them know your will. Lord, I pray that if there's somebody who's, who's not only dwelling in the world, but the world's dwelling in them, that they would uh, have the courage to, to turn from that sin to seek your forgiveness. And if they've never been saved, I pray that you would draw them to, to yourself and save them today. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.